Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the ADOS Podcast. I'm your host, Christian McClary. Elijah can be with us today, but everyone keep him and family in prayers. Uh, you know where to find us. You can find us on Facebook at the ADOS Podcast. You can find us on YouTube at the ADOS Podcast. We're on Spotify at the ADOS Podcast. And oh, yeah, we're on Instagram at the ADOS Podcast. So you are locked in and you are loaded. And uh, let's have some fun. So we, we do have a guest today. And this is a good buddy of mine. He does a lot for the community, and uh, he's just full of joy and ambition all the time. Everyone help me welcome Alexander Bourne. What's going on, y'all? <laughs> How you feeling today? You know, honestly, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. You know, it's uh, been a week. Today's Juneteenth, you know, so uh, I'm going to be at a lot of different events and ceremonies and all types of stuff happening today. There's like a wedding and... All types of stuff happening, you know? Most definitely. <laughs> How about you? What's on your agenda for today? Um, you know, honestly, uh, I'm going to be hopping on the road here pretty soon, mm -hmm. uh, taking a quick little road trip to catch up with some friends and family and uh, get back to work on Monday. So. Okay. Okay. The grind the grind never stops here with Alexander Bourne. But uh, for people who are not familiar with you, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, um, raised right here in St. Paul, mm -hmm. uh, went to college in New Orleans at Xavier University, uh, came back home uh, here in the Twin Cities in 2016. Um, since then, just trying to do the best that I could for the community based upon the resources that are readily available to me. So, Yeah, and uh, we, we know what um, surplus of resources we have in the state actually so that means you're getting a lot done right you know honestly you would think that because of the plethora of resources that flow through minnesota that organizers like myself um, would have an abundance of resources but in our reality they're pretty scarce and mm -hmm. so um, you know just really working with community members uh, community organizations uh, small businesses to uh, muster resources to ultimately redistribute equitably uh, throughout the state is something that we've been really focused on. So, And, you know, um, that's powerful because that's something that we talk about here on the ADOS podcast a lot of uh, redistributing resources and collaboration. And that's where I hear you talking about because we, we have that. We just have it in certain pockets. And because of the, the, you know, the wealth in the state, we have the capacity to lead like for other states in this country. And it shocks me. Well, let me not say shock, but it's um, it's good and bad because I see what potential we have in this state mm. and what we could do as like a pillar. Like we got all the national attention from the riots and, you know, the incidents that we've been having with uh, some of the Black Lives Matter and loss of lives. And with all this exposure and attention and wealth and resources we have, we have not found a way to capitalize that. You have any thoughts? Um, you know, I think I think over the past year and a half or so, you know, I think we've begun to see just how disconnected community is from community. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of people do a lot of great things, but the problem is, um, you know, people aren't really working in concert with one another and consequently um, we get minimal progress. And so, um, you know, I wake up every day uh, personally just trying to figure out how I can 
uh, work with others to, you know, move the needle forward. And and that's that's what we need to drive that collaboration. One hundred percent. Because it's, I don't know, man. We're we're friends with a lot of these people too, you know. We are. And 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 we're just a Facebook message, a phone call, a text message, a, a tweet away. It's it, like we. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, it's funny that you say that um, because you're 100 percent right, you know, but, you know, I always tell people, you know, it's one thing to have resources, um, but it's a whole nother thing to know exactly how to leverage them. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think for me personally, I've been um, extremely intentional uh, in recent years about um, how I engage um, and how I just go about you know, interacting with individuals, you know, because you want to build, um, you know, fruitful relationships and you want those fruitful relationships to be sustainable. Uh, and so um, just being very intentional about the relationships that we go after and uh, most importantly, having a vision on how we're going to leverage those relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and vision is important, you know, because a lot of people talk about preparation. And as we're preparing for things, like, we're in a constant battle between oppression mm. and oppressors. Yeah. You know? And because of those those battles, we got to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got to figure this out because, you know, it's our ideas who are the million-dollar ideas that I'm just going to say it, that the white community get rich off of. Mm. That's it. We might be at a board meeting. We drop a gym. Nobody hear that gem we dropped, but let the next white person sitting directly next to you reiterate what you just said. And everyone loves the idea. Yeah. You know, I think to that extent, I think um, a lot of what I'm hearing is it's not about what's being done. It's about who's doing it. And I think that's a um, that's a huge problem, you know, because, um, you know, Oftentimes, you know, we focus on the oppressors, which is very much necessary. But, um, you know, here in the African-American community, I think we need to do a little bit better job of, you know, really just recognizing that, um, you know, we all have the ability to thrive. Mm -hmm. Right. And we all have the ability uh, to move our community forward. And so um, how we go about doing that and the success that we have when we do that is really contingent upon um, how we go about, you know, building and sustaining those relationships. Yeah, because, you know, it's it's a bridge. And we always say here that, you know, let's let's just talk about money. We we going to pivot and we going to talk about the money. And we we know that money is a vehicle for us to get where we need to be. I mean, it exists and it's not going anywhere. Sure. You know, so it's like, how do we and you talk a, a lot about leverage, but it's like, how do we navigate and learn to leverage and learn to, you know, I, I like to say devalue money in a sense. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a I'm a huge believer and uh, I love the philosophy of trade. You know, think about it. I was on uh, Minnesota sneaker, you know, pages and it's like, hey, I'm looking for these sneakers. You want to trade? Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, let's trade, you know, you throw some cash, whatever to trade, you know, to, to make it that, that equitable transaction, right? 100%. Now, when we have this currency, it's kind of hard to do because not all, not everybody's dollar is worth the same amount of money. Mm. You know what I'm getting at, right? Because it's like I could give somebody a dollar 
and to them that dollar will last them two or three days mm. you get somebody else a dollar it's gone within minutes yeah you know and uh that value alone of everyone having their own individual um alignment to currency how they operate how they spend then we have a situation on our hands where it's like okay so we we're starting to bite off more than we could chew you know honestly um money so i i would i would actually push back against that a little bit oh that's what we need and um you know because you know you're talking to an entrepreneur that started his first business with just 156 dollars mm-hmm. you know i didn't have any uh, social resources to leverage i didn't have any financial resources to leverage um, I just had a little bit of money and a horrible idea. It wasn't a horrible idea. It was a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. But I learned early on in my life that I needed to uh, learn to trust my crazy ideas. Um, but that said, you know, I say all that to say is, you know, I don't really believe that it takes money to make money. Um, I don't believe that it takes resources to uh, be able to, you know, go out and acquire resources, mm-hmm. right? So that you can then go back into your community and then redistribute them. I think you just need to have that will and determination to go out there and get the money, but have a clear vision on how you're going to uh, distribute that money. You know, one of the things that we've been focused on over the last year and a half or so, um, at least in light of COVID-19, um, was surrounding you know, food rescue, safety, uh, and distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, I think today uh, we're sitting at about nearly 10 million pounds of fresh fruit and produce that's been distributed uh, throughout the state of Minnesota uh, in light of COVID-19. Uh, the program that I'm now referencing, it lives out of the Sana Foundation uh, here in St. Paul. And so, you know, just to be able to, you know, have organizational organization leaders uh, right here in our community uh, that's willing to tap into the community, mm-hmm. uh, say, yes, community, you have a great idea. I have resources. Let's work together so that we can, you know, show our community that we have something for them. And it's just been amazing to watch that food program grow over the last year and a half, uh, the impact that it's been having in community. Uh, but it's a true reflection of what collaborative work can look like mm-hmm. at a ground level. Yeah. For normal, everyday people. Especially in the midst of a pandemic, you know, because I was actually over there. Shout out to Sane Foundation. That's over on the east side in St. Paul. I used to live over there. And um, my sister actually grew up. Well, when she moved here, she kind of grew up in that community center. So they got her pictures all over the place there. Yeah. Yeah. So they they, yeah, they definitely supporting over Mm -hmm. there. So shout out to Sane. But. You know, I I went there and I volunteered to distribute food as well. And with the whole socially distanced thing, you know, you have cars, Mm. line of cars, and they're coming and they're getting that produce, you know. So it's like the the, the people are literally getting fed who's coming to get the food. 100%. But, you know, those volunteers and that staff, they're also getting fed, too with that community service piece of what that servicing is saying that, um, and I don't mean like servant in a bad or derogatory way, but saying like, I am a servant and a product of my community. 100%. And, and because I'm that servant and product, by me giving you this and you taking this and receiving this and you know getting fed with this, 
you are validating my feelings of how much I care for my community. And yeah, that that's important. We we do need more um, of that happening. But one thing I would say is like we need more of it. But like you mentioned, through an entrepreneurial perspective, because as you were talking about, like, you know, the bridging and uh, creating a programs, one thing I'm thinking about is through all the CARES Act money that we have for workforce, how don't we, you know, we start galvanizing these young individuals who are looking to start their own business. Maybe they have $150 or all they need is $150. Yeah. And if that CARES Act money go to them for a business startup and then they get an additional, uh, you know, $5,000 as a startup, we're cutting out the middleman, which is the bank, no bank loans. And we already have a business or a person who has a business plan that's on their way to prosperity. Yeah. And, you know, that's important, you know, being able to, you know, recognize that we have to go out there and literally pave these pathways to prosperity. Mm-hmm. OK, we have to do that. You know, I grew up right here on the east side, um, you know, probably two miles away from the secretary of state. No one ever told us that. We could take one hundred dollars. Walk two miles or less. And go and start a business. Yep. Nobody ever told us that. Ever. You see, and so, you know, just being able to, you know, begin just even think about creating that pathway for individuals, because at the end of the day, um, you know, people need jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think stability. People need stability, stability. and security. Yeah. That's and really and what and it especially is. in our community. You mm-hmm. know, when you think about the destabilization of black households. Um, particularly right here in Ramsey County, right? The disparities are real, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, we really need to uh, begin to look at the root cause of, you know, why our households are so unstable, right? Um, but in doing so, we need to first acknowledge the fact that, hey, how are we going to get folks jobs, <laughs> right? Like we have all of this money. I'm talking a lot of money. Yep, a lot. We literally just watched the county blow nearly a billion dollars. Yeah. Blow. <laughs> Keyword right? audience, blow. <laughs> literally, right? And so and we know that there's a whole nother round of funding coming, right? And so my question to everyone is what are you going to do to ensure that those resources are equitably distributed amongst your community. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And, you know, um, I got to take a quick shot at uh, my city right now, Apple Valley, Minnesota. Let me tell you guys about Apple Valley, because exactly what you're talking about is why we need that collaboration and partnership. Yeah. Because through the CARES Act money that we received, and I was running for office during a pandemic as well there, advocating for a lot of our small businesses but you did a great job by the way thank you thank you i was i was excited yep and uh actually it was a year ago today i announced my candidacy so juneteenth i remember yep that's the way i uh you know represent my elders and say i'm taking action and taking charge you guys walk these steps so i can do it but back to my back to my point um a lot of apple valley's funding for cares act money 
for businesses that are suffering or, you know, in hardship during a pandemic went to the police. Mm. And it's not a huge problem because they want to focus on safety. But my problem is when our businesses, our small local startup businesses and our children are not getting a piece of that. You know, because we like, let's just let's just be honest. We had to spend that money before a certain amount of time. Yeah. And it's no way in hell that um, leadership and AV could have told me that there's no businesses here. Because when I was going to these, you know, these public forums and doing giving my speeches, I was taking businesses with me there. Mm. And after after the forums and the questionnaires, I was introducing them to like, this is the leadership team. And, and essentially who basically don't care about you mm. because they're not thinking about you. They're mm. thinking about them. They're not thinking about the community. And that's the problem I have. And everyone can say, yeah, you know, it's, it's bad blood, it's bad salt, but I'm not. Because even after my election, I volunteered to be on the planning commissions and I have two denial letters yeah. of why I'm not on a planning commission, but they said, we'll consider your Apple... We'll, we'll consider your application for the next round. All factual. Yep. And I literally have two letters. I will expose, but I'm not going to do all that because I know what I have to do better. I know what the city has to do better. But I say that because if we had these funds mm. and we have to allocate these funds, let's put them into our community. Each county has a responsibility. Each city has an obligation to serve the residents of that area. They do. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to, to know what you're thinking about that, not just the Apple Valley thing, but like, you know, versus it going back into the government, let's put it in, which essentially it's all going to go back into the government anyway. That's just how money works, you know. Um, but it's like, how to how do we make sure that these small businesses are aware of these resources and could get in line? And how can we reduce that application? You know, honestly, you know, I think for me, you know, we really first have to be interested in acquiring that knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we also have to do our due diligence and make sure that we have systems in place that allows us to not only be able to go out there and solicit resources, but also acquire and then redistribute them. Mm -hmm. Right. And if we don't have that foundation, in my personal opinion, in those three areas. Right. There's a good chance that we'll never get resources. Right. You might have to break that down a little bit more for the audience. Like because when you when you picture when you imagine like uh, infrastructure in which we can do this and I know it could work, and you know, it could work. And uh, we, we we talk behind the scenes, too. So I know your vision. But for the audience, what. What do you think they should know more about that as far as infrastructure? Yeah. I mean, just look at PPP, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, payroll Protection Program. And if you go backwards, read that backwards. It's a program to protect your payroll. Mm. Right. A lot of people, particularly people of color. People in marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. When the program rolled out, they didn't have their ducks lined up. Mm. 
they didn't have a legalized entity. Mm. They had been in commerce, right? They had been doing business. They have the experience. They have the experience, but they didn't have the foundation that was necessary to be able to go out there and say, hey, I want to acquire these resources to propel my business forward. Mm-hmm. Right. Consequently, we began to see larger companies predominantly owned and ran by white people acquire large sums of PPP dollars. And then everybody say, oh, man, that's jacked up. Mm -hmm. You know, we're down here struggling. These people are up there getting all of the resources that were intended for us. But within that, we have guidelines. Mm -hmm. If we as individuals, to a certain extent, are not adhering to those guidelines, we don't qualify. Mm. Now, the policy side of that is that the beauty about guidelines and policies is that they can change, right? They can change. But how often, though? It depends on the system, first and foremost, to answer that question. Mm -hmm. But if you are an individual that has a business, you know that you wake up every day. For example, I got a friend. Mm -hmm. You, I think I introduced you once to her, Tierra. Mm -hmm. um, Tierra owns uh, Heritage uh, Hair. Hair. She do the hair, yeah. Right? Heritage Hair. Um, she's been in business for at least three years. Mm -hmm. She makes great money. But she doesn't have access to a lot of small business technical resources. She doesn't have access to small business attorneys. She doesn't have access to um, accounting, bookkeepers. Mm -hmm. QuickBooks and all Marketers, that. Yep. right? Advertisers. You know, all of these different things that larger entities typically have access to. Right. She wasn't able to capitalize on some of those financial relief opportunities simply because she didn't have her things in order. We got her in order. Right. But that's only because she had access to individuals like myself, mm -hmm. yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are so many entrepreneurs out there doing great business with great intent. But just simply lack access to capital. They lack access to connections. Mm. They lack access to community. Right? And so, you know, when you begin, I like to look at them as like the C's. You know, connections, capital, community. Um, it's a fourth one, too. Um, but, yeah. Right? If... We as entrepreneurs don't have access to connections, capital, community, for mm -hmm. starters. Mm -hmm. It's a good chance we're not going to be successful. That's the harsh reality. It's unfortunate, 
but it's our harsh reality and we can't negate it. So what are we going to do? We got we got to step I'm trying up. to get I'm trying to I'm on, I'm on a roll. I I want to I want to um help as many I want to see right now let's talk about our entrepreneurial ecosystem for a sec. Break it down for us. Our entrepreneurial ecosystem all the way at the top we got philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Right? Funders. But then you got your community development centers. Excuse me. Above them, excuse me. You have your CDFIs. Your, um, uh, it's an acronym for uh, Community Development Financial Institutions, mm-hmm. CDFIs. They are non-depository banks. They act as banks, but you couldn't like go in there and say, hey. Yeah, I need a loan or something. Well, you, that's actually what you can do, though. You can mm-hmm. go there and get loans, right? How much? A wide array, mm-hmm. right? But the problem with that even is, you know, those are all debt products, but I'll get to that in a second. Well, that's what like, I was going to ask you about in that. the PPP because like that's beca- a debt product, right? Right. But and, for us, because we don't have sustainable systems in place, mm-hmm. you know how many people are going to renege on that PPP? A lot, a lot, a lot. But that—that's why I wanted to ask you really quickly before we go back into the uh, you know financial pyramid breakdown because, and and maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, check me, because that's what we do. We check each other here. We keep it a buck all the time. But what I'm saying is that word or that acronym to me, PPP, ended with loan. And I think that that literature right there already deterred some people because we see loans as we got to pay that back. Yeah. And some people don't have that clear vision of their business like, well, my business is generating this amount of money for this month. I could pay this loan back. In no time. Yeah. Now, if it was a PPP grant, going back to like, you know, the non-taxable stuff, you know, the difference between a 501c3 status, nonprofit, and a LLC, um, you know, limited liability, was it corp- corporation, company, something like that, LLC. But the difference with that is the tax status and the tax bracket. So I'm asking you, if you think that that literature from loan to grant or opportunity would have had more of our people apply and go after it small or mid you know mid uh level business you know honestly personally i think it's a moot point because that wasn't the content right Mm -hmm. and so um i think right now we need to you know recognize the disparities that we can get from the data Mm -hmm. right pertaining to ppp go back to our legislators and say, these are some recommendations that I recommend, right? We recommend, right? So that these resources can better serve our community, mm-hmm. right? For example, when, when, um, so in Ramsey County, um, in Ramsey County with emergency assistance, mm-hmm. Pre-COVID, you can only utilize um, these resources once in a calendar year, right? Because I work in community, you know, I get a lot of people coming to me for a lot of different reasons. And Mm -hmm. um, one time I had an individual come to me and regarding this emergency assistance and, um, well, they needed rental assistance. And I said, well, you know, 
have you heard of emergency assistance? They say, yeah. I say, did you apply? They say, yeah. But I can't get it because I already got it. Mm. Right? But they're experiencing financial hardship in light of COVID-19. I said, well, that's strange. So you know what I did? I started to lobby Ramsey County to change the rule that said that for emergency assistance, instead of being able to get it once in the calendar year, we should be able to get it three times. Well, we didn't get three times, but you know what we got now? We got two. Mm -hmm. So if you live in Ramsey County, I can't speak for other counties, but if you live in Ramsey County in light of COVID-19, you can now utilize emergency assistance up to two times mm -hmm. in a calendar year. You know, so these are small yet significant things that we as community members can simply do to help change policy because policy is written by people. Mm. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. You know why? Why? Because people change positions. People change positions. People could change policies. What are you going to do to put yourself in a position to be able to change policies? Seems like you're hinting that uh, some of our audience members should run for office. I think I think running for office is a beautiful thing. I think everyone should run for office. If yeah. you ever want to run for office, get up with me. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love trying to get progressive people to run for office mm -hmm. because people change policies because people change policies and policies affect our everyday lives. And people don't realize it. Mm hmm. It's crazy. I was thinking to myself, like, if I'm looking for a new apartment, mm -hmm. I really think about the political side of that particular geographic area. Because I ask myself, like, all right, well, if I was to move over there, is that a community that I could see myself being able to address the need in? Mm -hmm. Right. And if the answer is no, then I'm like, I don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah. I, I may, you know, I want to go somewhere where I can have some impact. When I have some impact, some change, where right? I matter. You right? Know? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I think I think everyone run for office, should run for office. And, you know, I really appreciate, you know, you as an individual putting yourself out there on the line, you know, going out there and say, hey, this is some inequities that I've recognized that I want to address. I watched you. Mm -hmm. You went out there, you knocked on those doors, you held those meetings, hosted those conversations, yeah, creating that platform for individuals to have their voices embraced and uplifted. And I saw the transformation that has already begun to happen in communities like Apple Valley, mm -hmm. you know, because of people like you. They know where we are now. <laughs> so that, that's scary because like that they sending me denial letters left and right but it's like i'm gonna keep applying and that's the thing too yeah. you know no matter where you live honestly let me tell you the criteria for running for office you have to be depending on which seat you're going for you have to be let's let's just say city council start at start at a local level you have to be 18 plus you have to have lived in that city minimum 30 days 
minimum. And you can start campaigning before you even move there. It just has to be 30 days before the election. Yeah. And I'm like, those are some minor things and everybody could get involved. You know, I, yeah. I just want to see more people running. 100%. Because it's, it's people change, make, support policies. If you got a good perspective, get up with Alexander Bourne, get up with me, get up with Elijah. Elijah's running right now in Minneapolis. He is. And, you know, we... Running a heck of a race, by the way. It is a heck of a race. and He's, he, doing, he's doing a great job. He, he is doing great. And that's what I'm saying. AB a, right here, Alexander, he's just watching. He's scoping it out because he's like, this is what we need more of. And you actually, you played a huge role in my campaign, too. That behind the scenes work was amazing because I came to you with questions. And, and this is what I love about you so much. So, so many other people giving me misdirections. Yeah. And you told me. Because you ran for office and you was like, look, and I was always in the process of doing so. I just lacked a few things. You gave me those few things. I ran a hell of a race and I'm going to continue to run races because it's not over. But I'm saying that, you know, those gems and knowledge that you shared. More of our people out there, audience, more of y'all need to do this, especially if you ran in one year election. We need the mentorship. Start linking up with us. Yeah. We shouldn't only have to, because the community got you into your seats. You should be identifying individuals who are at that same age, younger than you, getting the wisdom from the elders. But we need mentorship in legislature. Yeah. And in community. And in community. 100%. Because if we have that, I'm all for uh, smooth transitions, right? <laughs> smooth transitions and we have some people yeah we, we we have some people in apple valley who served decades yeah you served your time yeah identify an individual whose beliefs are aligned with yours <laughs> and start working with that person so they can somewhat carry your legacy as well as their own individuality for the policy within that community but you know what's crazy they actually do that I haven't seen anything. They actually do do it. The problem is our progressive vision isn't aligned with their vision. Mm. So we never get sought out. You see? Mm -hmm. But that's literally how power stays power. within yeah. these hands of oppressors. When I ran for office, mm -hmm. I ran against a 23-year incumbent, Dan Bostrom. Held multiple offices, different offices, mm -hmm. right? Former police officer, right? Within a racist system, mm -hmm. within a racist department, mm -hmm. right? I watched that transition. But I also knew I had to challenge it to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. Talk about things that they weren't willing to talk about. Go places that they weren't willing to go. You got to challenge them at every single turn. Mm -hmm. It's true. And you have to do it in an unapologetic way. 
You know, like you have to be okay with saying, hey, I recognize that these people continue to put forth policies that does not truly reflect the community that I know and that I live in. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go after it. It's going to cost me some relationships. I may not get invited here or there. Right. This person or that person may give me a stink eye here or there, right? But it's necessary. I think we call that good trouble, <laughs> right? It's a good problem to have. It's for a sure. good problem to have. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a good problem to have. And um, honestly, I'd rather have a good problem versus a bad problem. 100%. You know, as entrepreneurs like and business owners, I would rather have too many customers than no customers at all. But, you know, even that could get you in some trouble. Yeah, you know, but I mean, what can't... Got, I, I, I can say that, you know, from lived experiences, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Like, we pray for a lot of business, a lot of traffic. We pray for those things as entrepreneurs. But sometimes when you lack those technical resources, like, Marketers, advertisers, lawyers, yeah. accountants, bookkeepers. You're right? overcompensating in you're, capacity. You're, exactly. You reach your capacity. You don't recognize it because you're still chasing that dollar. Mm-hmm. And you end up in situations like I ultimately ended up in, which weren't good. You know, I was fortunate enough to have a village, a community. To say, hold on, brother, don't fall. We got you. And that's why I'm able to sit here today. Mm-hmm. But I will always advocate for additional technical resources for small businesses. I think we need pathways to entrepreneurship. Ownership. Pathways to ownership, right? I think our education system right now is horrible. Housing. It's not affordable. No. It's not. It's not affordable. Landlords, not all of them are great. You got at every single turn, it doesn't matter which system you want to look at, you got somebody going to get somebody. Education, it's public versus charter. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, is the housing, school board mix on that? Housing, point? housing. You got uh, landlords put against tenants, mm-hmm. right? But to answer your question, what was that? So my, my question was uh, just really quickly because I, I just had to ask that. So the school board is normally a mix of both education systems, right? And then some. What do you mean? So you were saying like versus charter versus public. Mm. School board should have both representation, a part of those committees, right? Yeah, that's no? not how... That's not how it works. Okay, yeah. So I'm 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 familiar. I need to research that audience. Yeah. No, it's 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 no. Um the school board governs our public schools. Yeah. So just K twelve. K through twelve. K through twelve. Okay. Public schools. Right. And I think you may have, um, at this point we should have, I'm almost positive we do. Um, but we have early childhood um educational mm-hmm. services as well under that umbrella. Okay. Right. Um, but in the charter system, I think that's 
part of the problem, the lack of governance, mm. right? Um, I think we just saw a charter school right here in our community here in St. Paul. Uh, make an illegal investment, financial investment, mm. right? But guess what? You got those charter schools receiving our public dollars. If they're going to get our dollars, community should have say in what those policies look like for those kids. But, you know, all of these systems were created for people like you and I to not succeed in, to not to thrive in, mm -hmm. right? They weren't created for us. So we have to understand that, acquire this radical mindset that says, hey, we're not peeling back no layers. Throw the whole damn system away. Get with community and let's rebuild it together. Mm -hmm. We have to do that. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know who's going to be a part of that process, right? But it's necessary. Mm -hmm. I read, uh, I think it was Star Tribune recently, St. Paul Public Schools. Um, you know, they recently, uh, you know, adopted a notion that uh, they're not going to be suspending kids any longer. Personally, I can't identify no school that has had, or excuse me, that has a reentry program for suspended students that allows them to come back to school and do better. Yeah. Suspensions has never worked. You are looking at an individual that. I think I probably got more suspensions <laughs> than you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And it started at kindergarten. You know, I'm from a generation here in Ramsey County where I feel like big pharma infiltrated our public school system. They began to overdiagnose people that look like you and I mm -hmm. with a wide array of different medical issues, mental health issues, behavioral issues, right? And they say, the only way to make your child better is to medicate them, to medicate her. Mm -hmm. And that served as the catalyst to what people refer to as that pipeline to prison that pipeline to juvenile incarceration, that pipeline to juvenile displacement, that child, excuse me, that pipeline to destabilizing our households. The pipeline to children development and growth. I was fortunate 
like people talk about white privilege. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of privilege and obviously I'm not white. But my privilege is a little bit different. My privilege was because I know so many other black and brown boys and girls that was in special ed programming with me from K through 12 that are on a completely different trajectory. But you know why? Mainly because I had a village. Mm -hmm. I had a church family. I had a family, right? I had people that said, you will succeed. That's what I had. I was able to get those positive words of encouragement. Despite, you know, constantly being removed from my household for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. You see? It's a great first step. Suspensions aren't necessary. They're not. No, and you're you're right. First of all, let me uh let me say this. I could tell you watch a lot of ADOS podcasts because you are basically just saying everything we've been saying through this whole season up until this point. So uh thank you for the support for one. And uh for two, you're you're absolutely right. You know, disciplinary actions. It looks different. It doesn't always have to be in one form. You know, and you mentioned system, you know, systems, systems are good. Policies are good. Corrupted, wrong, bad, intently written policies and systems. It's just bad for community. And I think when we're talking about the pop, the pipeline relating suspension to juvenile detention and to federal prison, that's. That's an area that has many gaps in between it. Yeah. I've been suspended hella times, never been arrested. And, you know, yeah, they were taking us right out of our classrooms, bro. Yeah, literally. You just say something, you know, I, I used to be a little jokester and it started around kindergarten and stuff. I mean, I got into like a couple fights here and there. You know, I'm an older brother and no one's going to mess with my sisters like that. You know what I mean? But. Outside of that, like people were literally saying, you know, and I heard teachers say this, you know, like you're on your way to this, this and this. And yeah. I was like, you could think that. Honestly, you don't know what I know about me. Yeah. You know what I show you. Part of that is because I realized early on this world is not for me. Yeah. And we sense but that. But it is, though. I'm, it is I'm, for you. Now I recognize that, yeah, yes. Yeah. But I'm saying as a child. I just want to affirm that. Thank you. Thank you for your affirmation. Yeah. But but as a child, though, as a children who are not where we are today and went through that experience that mm -hmm. we went through or and consistently going through, they they have this this feeling to them that I'm not needed. I'm not here. I'm not beautiful. Yeah. So then we go to TikTok looking for the affirmation, looking yeah. for the validation. Yeah. And then we see all this. We talk about the fast life here all the time and fast money. And I don't want to go too much down that road. But my main point is children can sense these things when they're not wanted, when they're not needed. Yeah. I would rather be suspended at home from your classroom to being here listening to this BS that's not going to help my mom pay rent next month. Mm. It's not going to help me eat outside of school time. 
that's not going to help me in my life. I sense that energy. And quite frankly, I'd rather be out there on my own grinding how I'm going to grind. And you talked about the, the, you know, the medicinal and medications and stuff that was implemented. It's it's going into our food now. Yeah. It's going into the social media. It's going into everything. Everything we that we do, we're starting to see this medication. And what I try to do is <laughs> I try to view them all as placebos and say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. They telling us that this is going to fix this, this, and this. In actuality, it may heal or you may feel help, but that's in the mind. I got a I got a I got a challenge. I got a, I got a real story behind that um that one term, mm-hmm. placebo. Placebo. Yep. For those that don't know, it's related to the placebo effect. But it wasn't until um I would say about I want to say sixth, maybe seventh grade mm-hmm. that I learned what the placebo effect was. And when I learned what the placebo effect was, I said, you know what? This is what's happening to me. Mm. They tricked my mom into believing that the only way for my behavior to be rectified, right? Which quite frankly, in hindsight, wasn't bad, right? Like I was just a kid. Like I was hyper, you know, like I was a kid, right? But they tricked her into believing that if they medicated me, that, you know, things would be different for the for the for the betterment of our household and for the betterment of our community and for the betterment of my future right but then i learned that all of these medications that i was taking weren't doing any of the things that they said that was going to happen so i stopped i wasn't able to re- i wasn't able to remove myself from these isolated programs mm-hmm. that they had me in you know, fun, true story. My first standardized test that I've ever taken in my life was in 12th grade. Not in St. Paul Public Schools. It was the ACT. I was in St. Paul Public Schools in special ed programming from K through 12, excuse me, K through 11. My mom purchased a home my 11th grade year, second semester out in Hastings. Mm-hmm. And that's where I went on to graduate high school from. Spent the last year and a half of my <laughs> high school years in Hastings. Never had a standardized test in St. Paul Public Schools. Ask me how many medications St. Paul Public Schools <laughs> made sure I took. How many? A lot. Dude, they used to have, you know, like if you go in the drugstore, um, they got the... Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Bill. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bro. I used to have to have like two of those for each week because there wasn't enough space in each of those days for the amount of pills that they would give me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that stuff doesn't work. It didn't work. I don't know not one person that I was in special ed programming with and was being medicated at the exact same time that I was being medicated for many of the same reasons, same or similar, mm-hmm. that is doing well today. I don't know any. I see them in community. 
And when I say well, I'm talking being able to sustain their household. Mm-hmm. You know what? As Keith Ellison, Attorney General Keith Ellison says, I can sum it up just like this. Let's sum it up. I'm talking about people that can simply afford their lives. Like, I don't know any person that was in special ed for same or similar reasons, taking same or similar medications, other than myself right now, that can simply afford their lives. They never got the resources. They never got them. They went astray. You know, and 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 thank you for for sharing that. You know, because a lot of people don't don't get that history. Yeah, and that, that history is key because, as simple as it may seem, and as a story it may seem, that experience is something that we as people have to go through. Mm. And the reason I say that is because of you know what you were talking about. Medications, we just have to, sometimes we just have to challenge. Yeah. It's nothing wrong with me. It's something wrong with you. And, you know, as you look at your your upbringing, and one thing I would say, just to push back on what the last thing you just said, because this is what you said earlier in the segment is you had that privilege that they didn't. Yeah. And because you had that privilege, that privilege of a village, you know, that was the foundation for you and that support mm. and and that infrastructure. So I, I think I think that's beautiful, and I appreciate you sharing that story. Because nah, you know, I appreciate you giving me the platform. You know, because we all talk about health and wealth, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we all talk about mental health. We all talk about it. But no one's like, uh, let me take that back. Yeah, because I was about to say, we're, there's, we're not, <laughs> there's not a lot of people mm-hmm. and or organizations that I could certainly, you know, identify right here, right now that are literally in community tracking down individuals. I'm 31. Mm-hmm. It look great, by the way. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm talking to that's out there tracking down these 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 year old individuals, right? That they know have a history of mental illnesses. Even if they didn't have the illness itself, Mm -hmm. they know that they have been medicating these individuals and they have that history. They have that data. There needs to be a whole task force going out there, figuring out who, or excuse me, where the Vincent Lindsay's are. Mm-hmm. If you're from St. Paul and you're 31, 32, 33, 35, somewhere up in there, you know Vincent Lindsay. He's a real, yeah. <laughs> he got real loose screws, right? That's my man, 100 grand. Right. Mm -hmm. But Vincent, Andrew, his brother. Kenny, they all need resources. They mom died when we were in like the second or third grade. Mm -hmm. And her sleep. 
right? We got a whole school at least that was traumatized by the passing of his mom. There needs to be a whole task force going out there saying who was in school, who was in class with that kid during that time, mm-hmm. right? How are they doing today? What wraparound services can we provide them today? There's a lot of people right now in my age group Mm -hmm. that has never acquired resources. Not only do we need to address that, but we also need to address those obviously most eldest in our community, Mm -hmm. but most importantly, those most youngest. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the pathway. That's that's the bridge, you know, and um, we got to get ready to get out of here because we know we got we got to get yeah. you out of town. Yeah. But um, Elijah and I, we really appreciate you coming out, doing a segment with us. Um, you're always welcome here. Everyone, if you're out there, join the show. Yeah. It's a beautiful space. Like we come here and talk for 45 minutes and it only seemed like five. You know, yeah. so that's the that's the type of. Uh, but that's because you're my real friend, though. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know this, but Christian is actually like my real friend. So, you know, <laughs> you, Christian, I appreciate your friendship. Um, I think everything that you're doing right now, you know, both in your personal life as well as your professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's inspirational. You know, a lot of people don't know your story. No. Right. And no. I think, you know, um, that's the same for a lot of other people that look like us. You know, I think what you all are doing with this podcast, you're giving individuals the platform uh, to really showcase their narrative. Right. And that's important. Right. Because oftentimes we don't get to tell our narratives. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, just keep up the great work. Keep moving forward. I know the countdown's on before you become a full-blown married man. Three weeks. Three, three weeks. weeks. I'm, a, I'm already practiced wearing my ring. I saw you know? that today. I'm like. <laughs> How did you even get that? <laughs> I had my ring for a long time, but oh. yeah, yeah, um, you're you're absolutely right. We do have like a real friendship, and I love you, brother. I you love know, you like, too, man. We 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 say that, and um, it's real. It's organic. You know where to find us. Ados Podcast. Peace. <laughs>